There's probably something in all of us that that wants life to be more than it is. Even even the best of circumstances in our lives, there is something in us that is hoping there's more. And I think that is something that God has placed within us because when God creates people, he creates us to be whole. He creates us to flourish. One of the things I love about reading the first couple of chapters of Genesis is you get this image of God's design for all of creation, particularly for human beings. This design of flourishing and wholeness. But as we are probably aware, our sin marred that. It skewed that. It, 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 it presented us, it, it provided us with a, an existence now in which everything is out of kilter. Our sin and the evil of the world and the brokenness of the world creates a circumstance in which, in which we, we don't experience the kind of wholeness and flourishing that God intended for us. And there is a struggle within our own spirit about ourselves. There's a struggle in, in how we understand God. There is a struggle in how we relate to each other. When we read the Gospels in particular, we read the Gospels and we see stories of Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons and setting people free and restoring relationships what we're really seeing is a glimpse into the eternal kingdom of God. What we are seeing when Jesus does this is, is a, an image, a picture, a glimpse of God's creation, of God's, of all that God has made and God's kingdom restored that we will experience on the day that Jesus comes and reappears and all is put to right. But I think there is something probably a little bit unique, a little nuance to each of the stories that we hear and we read from Jesus. There certainly is in this story that we read this morning. I think this story probably is centered in the question that Jesus asked this man. The interesting thing about this story is that it, it takes Jesus two times of putting his hand on the man's eyes for him to be completely healed. I don't understand exactly why that's the case, but I, but I don't think that's coincidental. I, I get the feeling that there is something underneath that story and that experience that is saying to us, among other things, saying to us, don't settle for life as it is. Don't settle for the vision you have of God and of others and of the world Because God wants to give you such clearer vision, if you'll let him. God wants to give us clearer vision. But the problem is we so often are willing to settle with what we can see. It's what we we find Jesus saying to, um, to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3. He says to them, look, I want, you to, I want you to buy gold that I'm providing. I want you to buy clothes. But he also says, I want you to buy salve to put on your eyes. Because your eyes are not seeing things clearly. And what is it that Laodicea is, is convicted of? What is the problem in Laodicea, the center core problem? It's lukewarmness. 
They don't want to be cold, but they don't want to be hot either. And they've just decided Jesus has done enough for us, and we're just going to settle right here. And he says, no, that's not what my people do. You know, I had no idea what I was missing until the first time I saw HD television. You all have that experience? I mean, I thought it can't be that much different. It's all the same, right? And then I watch a golf match. It's like, wow, I've never seen green so green and so clear. And everything was, was amazing. And I thought, wow, I can't go back, right? And in fact, now, if I try to watch a channel that's not digital and it's analog, I can't watch it. It hurts my eyes. It gives me a headache. Like, we can't watch that. It's just, it, it's, it's too harsh. And they're always creating new ways of, of, you know, televisions. Now there's 4K and I read about 8K. And probably someday people are going to look back and say, how do you watch HD? That hurts my eyes to watch that. But, you know, I never realized it until I saw it. And I think Jesus is, is trying to give us a glimpse, a picture of something more, how we can have such better vision in this world. Because having clearer vision means we have a clearer vision of God. We have a clearer vision of who God is and what God is doing. Because so often in our world of brokenness and pain and agony and difficulties and darkness and evil and struggle, we, we wonder, where is God? Is God even around? Is God doing anything? We, we question. And the problem is not that God is absent. The problem is we need clearer vision to see him. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is 2 Kings chapter 6. And the king of Aram is upset with Elisha the prophet. And so he sends his army down to Israel and he surrounds his house. And in the morning, the servant of Elisha comes out and sees this army all around him, chariots and horses. And he runs back in the house. He says, Master, you're not going to believe what's outside. We're surrounded. We're dead. And Elisha says, the army with us is greater than the army you can see. I can imagine the servant pulling back the curtain, looking out the window and looking at the two of them and thinking, really? There's a whole bunch out there and two of us in here. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. What he needs is vision. And God opens his eyes and he sees God's army. We need vision to see God. The problem is not God. The problem is us. God is at work. God is doing more than we dream or imagine. We just need to see it. It's one of the reasons why we come together for worship. Because we're reminded in the songs we sing, in the prayers we pray, in the scriptures we read, who God is and what God is doing. And, and even as Tim shared this morning, just a, a reminder to us, God is at work. It's funny to me, to me that we still are hesitant. I wonder if it's because sometimes we have this sneaking suspicion that when God gives us clearer vision, it's probably going to be a messy and disruptive process. I want God to, to change things without asking anything of me. But it doesn't seem to work that way. This story is a bit unique, not only because it takes Jesus twice to heal the man, but also the way Jesus heals him. We have stories in the Gospels of Jesus spitting on the ground and spitting in his hands, but this time he spits right on the guy's eyes. I'm thinking to myself, 
If I were me, I'd be asking, there's not a no-spitting option to this healing? Would that not be possible to do that? And when he asked him, can you see anything now? I'd want to say, well, that depends. Is there going to be more spitting or are we done with that? You know, it's like, whoa. I have to tell you, I did read that spitting on people's eyes was one of the healing, ways of healing in the ancient culture. But you look at that and we think, you know, it, it, it's messy. And we'd rather avoid that. We want to get away from it. It's disruptive to us. We're comfortable. Life is okay. Do we see that well? No, not really. But life is comfortable. And we like comfortable. But God wants us more than comfortable. He wants us to be able to see things that we couldn't see before. And we have to let him do that, even though it may be disruptive and messy. There's a story in John 5 of a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him and says, do you want to be healed? What kind of a question is that? I mean, of course he wants to be healed. Fascinating to me, though, that's not his answer. His answer is, well, this, uh, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. He gives excuses to why he's not healed. And I get the feeling there's something in the back of his mind that's thinking, if Jesus heals me, I'm going to have to be responsible for my life. Whereas now, I'm paralyzed, but everybody takes care of me, and I don't have to do anything. And God is saying to us, you want to be healed. There's more. I also wonder if our hesitancy isn't, isn't rooted in the fact that we somehow realize that when you see clearly, you see clearly. You see everything. And that means you not only see God at work, you see pain that much more clearly. It is awesome. To, I can't imagine the, the emotion, the feeling of being for the first time seeing a sunrise and a sunset. And a rainbow. And little children giggling and smiling. And then you realize that as awesome as that is, you turn around and you also see garbage and trash. And things that turn your stomach. And painful things. And there's a part of us that says, I want to run away from that. And that the, the bad things, the ugly things are too overwhelming. And maybe it's worth not seeing God to not have to see those things. Because you either we see or we don't see. Either we have clear vision or we don't have clear vision. And we're going to see those things. And it also causes us to see people differently. We begin to see people as they are. Not just what they do and say. It's interesting to me that when Jesus asks him, can you see anything now? The man says, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. When our vision is blurred, people kind of seem like objects to us. And objects are things that we use. It's an ongoing discussion, argument Jesus has with the the religious leaders. They have no problem using people to make their arguments, using people to trick Jesus, using people to back Jesus into a corner. And Jesus refuses to do that. They bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. They don't care about her. They don't care about the shame she's feeling. They don't care about how embarrassed she is. They don't care anything about why this is happening. All they care about is this is somebody I can use to trick Jesus. That's what happens when our vision is distorted and blurred because all we're thinking about is ourselves. 
When we start getting clearer vision, we start seeing past people's actions and words and into the heart of who they are. We start asking not just, why are you doing that? But what's motivating you? What's the hurt? What's the pain? What's the struggle that you've been through? And while before we had that kind of clear vision, we look at people who disagree with us as the enemy. We look at people who who are different from us as people we crush and we have to defeat and we have to overcome and they're less than us. But as our vision begins to clear, we start seeing them as people who are loved by God. As people who are broken and hurting. We start seeing them the way Jesus does. In Mark chapter 6, tells us that Jesus and his disciples were trying to get away from the people. But when Jesus saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion. His stomach churned with compassion for these people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He could have looked at them and said, what is wrong with you people? Don't you ever get it? Don't you know anything about what it means to follow God? But he doesn't because he realizes they don't know anything. The shepherds that God appointed to teach them haven't done their duty. And these people are wandering aimlessly. And God and Jesus sees that. A few hours later, the disciples look on that same crowd who are now hungry from not having eaten all day. And they say to Jesus, get rid of them. Send them away. They're a nuisance to us. We need the vision of Jesus. Again, this is not just something personal. It's not just personal vision. It's corporate vision. Scriptures are always trying to help us understand the corporate nature of our faith. And to have corporate vision is to, is to create an atmosphere where we help each other see more clearly. Mark tells us that this event takes place in the city of Bethsaida. Bethsaida in Scripture is famous for two things. It is the hometown of Peter, Andrew, and Philip, three of the disciples. And it's also one of the cities in which Jesus speaks a woe against. You don't want Jesus to say woe against you. That's a bad thing. And he says, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented of their sins, even though you haven't. And he says, they are a faithless, doubting people. Maybe that's why Jesus, when the blind man comes to him, Jesus takes him by the hand and does a strange thing. He leads him outside of the city. And when he's done, he says to him, don't go back to the city. I think it's because that city is going to to sap all of your faith. They're going to make it difficult for you to keep following me and to believe that I've really done something for you. So avoid that. And it makes me think, what kind of a church are we? Are we a church that's, that's, that's creating an atmosphere of faith and sight and vision and the great things of God? Or are we hindering that? Are we holding it back? Are we saying, oh, I don't know. That's a little too risky. That's kind of outside my comfort zone. What kind of a church are we? What atmosphere are we creating? What are we doing? Are we helping each other see Jesus more clearly? 
challenging each other in our faith and encouraging each other to faith. And being a place where we come together every week and as we live our lives throughout the week, there is this innate sense of expectation about God and the Holy Spirit doing things that we couldn't dream or imagine in us corporately and individually. We want to be this kind of church that, that creates an atmosphere of faith and vision and a desire for that, not the opposite. I'm convinced that clearer vision inspires clearer vision. When people begin to see things more clearly, they inspire other people to see things more clearly. Someone said to me last week that when they were young... I don't know, third or fourth grade, they got their first pair of glasses. And they said, it's like the world just kind of came alive for them. They were one of those students that no one could figure out why they weren't doing well. And it's because they couldn't see. They said, for the next few days, they walked around with their mom saying, do you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? And went, yeah, yeah, I see it. I see it. I've seen it for years. But you know, those kinds of people inspire us to see things that, quite frankly, we often miss. People who are new to a place see things that those of us who've been at that place for a long time ignore. We need people who are sensing God at work in their life, challenging us and encouraging us to clearer vision like God has given them. I've, I've had eye trouble since I was a, a child. I probably got glasses in third or fourth grade. And through the years, I've had glasses. I've had contacts, hard contacts, soft contacts, other, all kinds of different glasses. I remember in seminary, I went to the optometrist to get glasses. I said, I want glasses that make me look smart. I said, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, <laughs> it's a challenge. It's too big of a challenge. But going to the ophthalmologist is always frustrating to me. And it's frustrating to me for two reasons. One is, when they put that little thing, machine, on your eyes, and they start asking you questions. Which is better, one or two? I don't know. They look kind of the same to me. All right, three or four? Can I go back to one again? Um, Five or six? I don't know. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is the pressure. For the next five years, I'm deciding whether I'm going to be able to see or not based on the, the answer I give to the questions. And, and they, they look so much the same to me. Now, if you give me 10 and 1, okay, I can tell the difference between those, and I got that. But it's hard. I don't know if you have that experience, but you find it very difficult to know the difference between them. But I also have a stigmatism. And that means that when they, when they put that chart up on the wall that with the lights light up the letters on a dark wall, all the light kind of bleeds out of the letters. And there's sort of this halo of light around every single one of those letters and words. And, and I want the ophthalmologist to fix that. I want the ophthalmologist to take that away and that the letters no longer have that halo and get that thing out of there so I can see the straight lines of all these different letters. And she says, I'm doing the best that I can, but you have a condition and there's nothing you can really do about it. And some of you probably have know what I'm talking about with your own things. And it's frustrating to me because I want to see perfectly. And she does the best that she can, but because of my condition, there are limitations. 
the day is coming when we will see perfectly. We will see God. We'll see each other. We'll see ourselves clearly and perfectly. And it will be a glorious day. But until that day, it's never going to be quite perfect. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that now we see imperfectly. The day will come when we will see face to face. And we read that and we we think sometimes, well, then what difference does it make? If we can't see perfectly, why bother? Because God is saying to us, you can always see more clearly than you do. And I want you to have clearer vision more and more as each day goes along. I want you to be able to see me more clearly and to see people, even though it may be agonizing sometimes, and to see me at work and to see yourself for who you are, my beloved child. And Jesus is the great ophthalmologist who keeps working on our eyes if we will let him. And so he's asking us, he's done work on us, and he's asking us, can you see anything now? But he's also asking us, do you want to see more clearly? Father, in this moment of silence, as we ponder those questions, hear our prayers. Father, thank you not only for hearing our prayers, but for answering our prayers. Through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen.